There's a story that goes something like this. There once was a wise teacher who would go to the temple every morning to pray with his disciples. And by the temple, there was a stray cat who would wander in every evening during these prayers and disturb the peace of the temple. So each evening before the prayers... The teacher would tie the cat to a tree outside before entering. And the teacher was old and passed away a few years later. So his disciples continued to tie the cat to the tree each evening before prayers. And eventually the cat died. So the disciples purchased a new cat so they could continue the ritual. After 100 years, the tree died, so a new one was quickly planted so the cat could have something, now the eighth generation cat, to be tied to. And over the centuries, learned scholars began to write books on the symbolic meaning of the act. These words were penned by Irish author, storyteller, and theologian Peter Rollins and appear in a book titled The Orthodox Heretic, probably one of my favorite book titles. Each of his modern-day parables reminds us of our humanity and our need for grace, much like the parables of Jesus, because oftentimes we're left with more questions than answers. This one in particular, titled The Temple Cat, pokes fun at our routines and rituals. As creatures of habit, we often do things as they've always been done. Sometimes it's family holidays and traditions. Sometimes it's our morning routines. Sometimes it's the way we function as a church. Sometimes it's the particularities in our ritual that seems somewhat like a cat tied to a tree. Today, all over the world, Christians are celebrating the baptism of Jesus, or baptism of our Lord Sunday, which comes the Sunday after Epiphany and celebrates the baptism of Jesus. And my dear Baptists, we are the lucky ones We get to proclaim how important this act was by the name of our denomination, by the name of our church on the sign in the front of our property. This act was important. This act was transformational. And this act would be repeated. Today, all over the world, Christians celebrate baptism in its many forms. We practice baptism here by full immersion. This means that when we as Baptists welcome into our community a new member, that person's body is completely submerged into water and then raised again to symbolize that the, to symbolize that the old life has gone away and there is a new resurrection life in Christ. Our Methodist friends, 
our Episcopal friends, our Catholic friends, our Anglican friends, our Presbyterian friends, our Nazarene friends, and so on and so forth, practice baptism in different ways, which our Baptist mothers and fathers had a lot to say about. Roger Williams wrote an essay called Christening Makes Not Christians that argued the freedom of the adult mind to consciously follow and accept Christ is where true and real faith lies. Some days I know historically why we have so many different denominations and so many different ways to baptize. To different people, the time, the age, the purpose, or the need for baptism looks different. So I know historically why we are at this place. When I think about all of the different methods of baptism, my mind goes to the diagram that Dr. Birdwhistle, or Doc, at Georgetown College passed out to our Christian heritage class. It was a picture of a tree with a big stump that broke off into two stumps that broke off into branches and then into more branches and more branches to signify how the church split and then the church split and then the church split and then it split again because we did not agree on how to baptize, among other disagreements on communion or leadership or women or clothing or sacraments or purity or marriage or divorce or the list goes on. And I wonder, historically, if the traditions we can't explain is the differences in our methods of baptism, or if the tradition we can't explain is that when it comes to a difference, the people of the church split. The cat tied to the tree seems to be, historically, For Christians to walk away from each other, because oftentimes disagreements over things that are so important bring pain, anger, or hurt. But our divisions imply that baptism, among a lot of other rituals and beliefs, baptism matters. So from the tree that has split and split and split, what if we were to come back to the root? Scripture tells us that Jesus went from Galilee and to John, who was in the Jordan River, and asked John to baptize him. And John is hesitant at first, and Jesus says, this is the way of righteousness. It is how it is to be fulfilled. So John agrees and baptizes Jesus. And then we hear the voice of God as the heavens open and say, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And I think that we think God said more than that. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. I think that we think that God said something like, and this is the correct way to baptize. (laughs) 
Or that God says, because of all the miracles and teachings that Jesus is about to do in the next three years of his life, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I will be well pleased. Or that God says, because he has spoken the correct words in the correct order, I am pleased. But that's not what God says. The truth is, what we read, what we read about last week, when the Magi followed the star to Jesus, and today, when Jesus approached John and the Jordan to be baptized, we actually know very little about the time in between. We can fill in a few gaps, but Jesus was not yet performing miracles. So in a way, he was living a perfectly human, normal life. So this day, when he approaches John to be baptized, after he's baptized, God said, you are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. And God does not reach into the future and attribute this love to miracles or works. But God simply says, right now, as you are, as you come to the water, you are enough and you are loved. Baptism, like communion, has a lot more to do with God than it has to do with us. Thank goodness. While we have been busy tying our cats to trees for 2,000 years, remembering the lines we have drawn in the sand to separate us, God simply says, you are enough. You are loved at the root of that tree. I think as Baptists, we sometimes think of baptism as our end game. We believe, as Baptists, in believer's baptism because we believe that each of us has the freedom and obligation to choose to follow Christ in our own heart and understanding. But I think in believing that baptism is for adults, a lot of times we treat baptism like our end game. See, what we have in common with every other Christian denomination is that baptism is not an end, but a beginning. While a baby who is baptized in the Episcopal or Catholic or Methodist church does not fully know what they are accepting or adhering to, really, at the age of 10 or 13 or 21 or 70, I don't know if we as conscious adults can truly fully comprehend the grace of Jesus Christ that we say yes to. The waters of baptism are not about having it all figured out, but knowing that there is much more ahead of us. And that is exciting. A few years ago, my husband Rob and I got to travel to Mexico where we saw the ruins of Chichen Itza, or we are not supposed to call it chicken pizza. Chichen Itza, not chicken pizza. These beautiful old monuments, these pyramid monuments with steps up the side. I don't know if you've seen them. They are, they are majestic. They are beautiful. And on the way to these monuments, our tour group took a bus um, to this, and I don't know what it's called, so I'm going to try to describe it to you. To this big hole in the ground. (laughs) Inside of this hole, about five stories deep, 
was crystal clear water. It was cool, and in the Mexican midsummer heat, was refreshing. Our tour group was the first ones was the first one there that morning. We could walk down steps that were kind of cobbled out of stone and wood and get into the water. There was a, a low dock that had a ladder off of it you could step down into, kind of like a pool. And then there was a high dock that you could run and jump off of if you so chose. We did not choose option two. <laughs> so it, and it also happened that Rob and I were the first ones to go down into it in the morning. No one had been in that water yet. And as we're walking down, because it is stone, it looks like black water. You can't see anything in it. So we walk down the steps. Mind you, it's on the day of our one-year wedding anniversary, and Rob pushes me in front of him to, to go first. He's, he's allowing, allowing me to go first into the water. So I, I slowly go down the steps, and as my toes touch, it's cold. It's cold. One more step. One more step. And as I'm almost up to my waist, we hear a scream and running footsteps as a five-year-old girl launches off the top dock, cannonballs into the water below. We felt like idiots. (laughs) The pure joy and running and jumping into this water. That's a feeling, that's a sight I will never forget. Today, we're going to remember our baptisms. Maybe it's something you've done before. Maybe it's something you've never even heard of before. Maybe you've been baptized before, either as a baby um, or maybe as an adult. Maybe baptism is something you've thought about. Maybe baptism is something you've never thought about. Wherever you are today, God calls you beloved. God calls you enough. And God says, God is well pleased. So today, approach this water with joy unhindered. Because these waters have more to do with who God is than who we are. These waters remind us that our baptism was not an end, but a beginning. Our willingness to remember our baptism, to step up to this water, does not signify so much our spiritual mastery of the world, as much as it signals our eternal wonder and surrender to the grace of Jesus Christ. Because like Jesus, when we step into or up to the waters of baptism, God does not count past or future miracles or failures. In the water, God simply says, you are my child, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Amen.